page 949, if you haven't found it yet. Ephesians 1. The question for tonight is, what about free will? Or what about it? Um, I remind you that you are hearing a sermon from a Calvinist. So, uh, to know that. Shouldn't be any surprises. God predestined it that way. (laughs) Here, the word of the Lord from Ephesians 1, beginning to read at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, just as he chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before him in love. He destined us for adoption as his children through Jesus Christ, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace that he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and insight, he has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to gather up all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In Christ, we have also obtained an inheritance having been destined according to the purpose of him who accomplishes all things according to his counsel and will, so that we, who were the first to set our hope on Christ, might live for the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you had heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and had believed in him, were marked with the seal of the promised Holy Spirit, This is the pledge of our inheritance toward redemption as God's own people to the praise of his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Sherlock Holmes is a man who has amazing powers of observation. If you've seen the movie or read the books, you know this. He picks up on cues that other people miss. He observes things that other people never see. He is so aware of what's happening that he can anticipate situations and prepare for them. Even split second in the middle of a fight, he can imagine what will come his way and respond accordingly and escape. In fact, there are times when he exudes this Amazing amount of calm in a situation that should not require that much calm. Should actually require a little more anxiety. Because he's about five steps ahead of everybody else. He knows what's going to happen. And so, he kind of just adjusts his life already in advance, knowing what all these other people are going to do. Now, it's tempting to read Ephesians 1 and think, Oh, God's like that. God's like Sherlock Holmes. Probably the first time that's ever been said in a sermon. (laughs) To think like, oh, God just knows. God knows us so well because he created us. He knit us together in our mother's wombs. He created the world. He knows how this world functions. He just, he knows everything so well that he just knows what we're going to do. He knows what you're going to have for breakfast tomorrow. He knows where you're going to be living in three years. He knows who you're going to live with next year. He knows what your first job out of college is going to be. 
He knows. But that's actually not what Paul is saying. Paul is saying, God doesn't just know that stuff. God planned that stuff. God planned what you're going to eat for breakfast tomorrow. Planned where you're going to be living in three years. Planned where you're going to be living next year. Planned your first job out of college. Actually planned it. Like, laid it out. Like, has it all together. Ready, go. And we actually, honestly, we like the foreknowledge thing better. We like the idea of God knowing things, but we get a little queasy on the idea like God planned everything out. Like he planned everything? Like what socks I'm going to wear? Like really? Doesn't he have better things to do? Because it makes us feel then like we're just, you know, acting out some script that God's the big puppet master and we're just, you know, like now we go here and... I'm going to be a psychology major because God has predestined it. Because the truth of the matter is we like being in charge of our own lives. We like having control. We like choice. In fact, one of the big joys of college is that for many of us, this is the first time where we get to choose a lot. We get to choose what time we're going to go to bed. We get to choose what time we're going to get up in the morning. No one is saying to us, stop playing video games and go do your homework, even though maybe they should. <laughs> we have so much choice. And in fact, we really get annoyed when our choice is limited. When we go through the line and the smoothie of the day is strawberry and not blueberry, We get a little annoyed by that. There are 10,000 choices in the Commons Dining Hall, but this particular one does not match our longing at the moment, and we get a little annoyed. We get annoyed, and we go out to dinner, and the person says, would you like a beverage? And you say, Diet Coke, and they say, would Pepsi be okay? And you're like, no, I want Diet Coke. <laughs> we like choice. We like options. We like believing that our choices actually matter in the world. We want every option on the table. We want every item on the buffet. We want every tree in the garden. Oh. Huh. We don't like it very well when people tell us what we can and cannot do. We like having every tree in the garden. And the truth of the matter is, has it been you and me in the garden on that day, we would have made the same choice. We would have done the same thing. Because Adam and Eve back then, they were in a state of what theologians say they were able not to sin. They were able not to. But then once they chose against God, it plunged them into a different category. It plunged all of us into a different category, and that is not able not to sin. Doesn't that sound like something theologians would say? I know. Not able not to sin. So in that moment, what happens is our ability to choose is completely messed up. It's completely broken. We cannot choose well. We cannot choose wisely. 
We have been plunged into a state where we are not able not to sin. That's all we can do. That's all we choose. That's fall. That's loss. That's sorrow. That's suffering. Paul says when we're in this state, we are enemies of Christ, he writes at a different place. He says we, that's all we can do is choose against God. And so what we need in that moment, because we cannot choose God, what we need in that moment is for God to do what? Choose us. Yes. And so Ephesians 1 is about Paul saying, that's what God did. That's what he did. That's what he did for all of us. That's what he did. And that's why he begins with doxology. Blessed be God. Praise be to God because he chose us. Oh my goodness, do you know what a relief this is? Do you know what a good thing this is? Because we could not choose him. He chose us before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. Paul says this is gift. This is pure grace. He uses words like lavish. Lavished grace on us. Before the foundations of the world, he says, you were chosen. You were destined for adoption so that you just weren't some distant, interesting human being. You were son. You were daughter. You were in the family. You were chosen. And what happens then is that when you become aware of this being chosenness, the Holy Spirit, Paul says, the Holy Spirit comes in. And the language here is the Holy Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing our redemption. So the Holy Spirit comes in and boom, there's this thing that happens called regeneration. Put that down in your notebooks. Regeneration, be on the test. Regeneration is when the Holy Spirit comes and suddenly we move from, remember, Adam and Eve were what? They were able not to sin. And then we were not able not to sin, right? Double negative. Don't do that in a paper. Profs don't like it. And then because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives, we become again able not to sin. That's regeneration. And so Paul says, this is amazing because we were so messed up. We were so messed up. He writes about the messed up in lots of other letters. He says, we were so fallen. We were wretches. We were enemies of God. We were so messed up. But God chose us in Christ and gives us the gift of the Holy Spirit and that makes us able now not to sin. And then he spends a lot of ink in his letters talking about the difference that choices make. Right? If choices didn't matter, Paul would have much shorter letters because Paul really likes to tell people what to do. Have you noticed this? Lots of imperatives in Paul. Lots of, and do this and don't do that, but do more of that and none of that anymore. In Ephesians, he says things like, stop getting angry at each other. Stop quarreling. Don't let any mean stuff come out of your mouth. Only that's good for building each other up. In other letters, he says, don't get drunk. Don't do that. We don't do that anymore. You used to do that. We don't do that anymore. Don't have sex with people you're not married to. That's gross. <laughs> Could be a paraphrase. <laughs> he 
says, you used to do that. We don't do that anymore because the Holy Spirit is at work in us, constantly drawing us deeper and deeper and deeper into a relationship with Jesus Christ. So he says, your choices matter because when you choose obedience, what you are doing in that moment is choosing the God who chose you. You are choosing to live in a way that honors the God who chose you. You are choosing to live a life of gratitude for the one who's chosen you. Now, there are so many mysterious things about this. Because the choices that we make are inevitable because God has planned them already. So he already knows, and more than that, he's already planned it out, what you are going to choose, how you are going to live, where discipleship is going to be easy and where discipleship is going to... It's all laid out. It's all set. Your choices are inevitable. Do they still matter? Yes. Why? I'm not really sure. But here's a theory. Our choices matter because we're not God. So we don't really understand the ins and outs of how he has planned everything, and yet it still feels like we're choosing some things because we are finite. God, not finite. And so our choices matter in some ways because they seem to matter. Does that make sense? Because in the limits of who we are, these choices seem weighty and relevant, and I think God gets that. And when God became flesh, when God became Jesus Christ, there were certain things that Jesus gave up, and one, was them, one of them was kind of his understanding about all this. Because when he's in the garden, what does he ask for? Another way, right? If there could be another way. Really revealing moment about Father, Son, and Spirit, and knowledge, and finite, and infinite, and omnipotent, and omniscient. It makes us realize how much Jesus gave up for us to become flesh. Your choices matter. Our choices matter. Living blameless and holy lives matters because that is how we reveal our choosing to each other. That's how we reveal our choosing to the church. A lot of times when people talk about free will, a lot of times when I think about my own free will, it's very individualistic. I want what I want when I want it. I want my choices to matter. I want to have a huge impact on the world. I want people to know who I am. So stand back, God, because I got this. So often, our movements into free will and our clamoring for it and our desire for it is that old, old sin of reaching for a fruit that we should not take. And so when the Holy Spirit begins to work in our lives more and more and more, I think of Mary a whole lot less, and I think of the body of Christ a whole lot more. And did you notice in Ephesians 1 that all the pronouns are plural? 
Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who's blessed us. He chose us in Christ. He destined us for adoption. In him we have redemption. He may know to us the mystery of his will. We have obtained an inheritance. It's all plural. Because God deals with people in community and in covenant. His covenant is with the people of God. That's why in our tradition, we baptize babies. We take, oh, there, well, there's no font. All right. Sometimes there's a font. So this morning, I see a little baby get baptized. He has no idea what's going on. No idea. The water goes all the way over his head. He has no idea what's happening. And that's a good analogy for the rest of his life. He will have no idea what's going on, right? Who has, who has no idea what's going on, right? I'm 20, I have no, no idea what's going on. Exactly right. It's because God's like, Jackson, Winkle, I got this. I got this. I chose you, Jackson, Martell, Peter, Winkle, from the foundations of the world to be adopted first into the Winkle family. Oh, no, no, to be adopted first into my family. And now into the family of Winkles, who will rear you up as a child of God. That's why we baptize in community and into covenant, and why Jackson says nothing. He didn't say anything the whole time. His parents say, we do, God helping us. And you know who else says, we do, God helping us? The church. Because baptism is a sacrament of community and covenant. And the table is a sacrament of community and covenant. That's why we don't say, oh, everybody just take a little hamburger bun and some juice and head back to your dorms and have a little one-on-one -on -one time with Jesus in the sacrament. No! No, 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 no. The sacrament is for community. The sacrament is for building up the body of Jesus Christ for he chose us before the foundations of the world. And part of the miracle is that when you walk up to the table, you see other people walk into the table and you say, isn't it amazing that he chose us? That's crazy. Isn't it amazing? He chose, he, chose me. he chose you too? That's, that's fantastic. That's great. He chose you? Are you kidding me? That is awesome. That is so exciting. Look at all of us. He chose us. Look at this. He chose us all like group hug on the table, right? <laughs> the sacrament is communal because the covenant of God is with God's people, and we see that throughout history again and again and again and again. That when God chooses, he chooses for the for the mass, for the group, for the whole. And so when we have our little individual moments when we think, I want it to be about me and I want to make a difference in the world, we have to be so careful that we're letting the Holy Spirit really regenerate us and really sanctify us and really move us on. Because the state that we're in, able not to sin, this is only temporary. Because when Jesus Christ comes back, or when we, as Sharon Bightworks' mom now is, when we are translated into glory, then you know what we are? Not able to sin. Can't even do it. Can't even try. Go ahead, try. Oh, I can't. Can't sin. <laughs> can't do it at all. I think, I think your first, like, oh, no, no time in heaven. I think your first moments units of time, your first experiences in heaven, I think you're going, oh, try me, dare me to do something. Oh, I can't do it, can't sin. So that's where we're going. That's where we're moving to. 
So the struggle that we have now against flesh, against our own wills, against our own choices that do not choose God but choose against the struggle that we have now to keep getting better and trying harder and recognizing the work of the Holy Spirit in our life is temporary, thanks be to God. Because he's calling us towards something much larger. And when we have moments when we choose him, when we choose him, we are choosing a taste of that glory, a taste of that time when we won't even be able to sin anymore. So there's this odd calm that Sherlock Holmes has, you know, when he's in the time of crisis. And if you've seen the most recent movie, which, by the way, cheap seats right now, $4, Woodland Theater. He has moments when you're like, why are you so calm? There are people shooting at you. And there's a scene where he tells Dr. Watson, hey, come lie down with me on the, the floor of this train car. And Dr. Watson's like, why should I lie? But then he realizes, wait, I, I've known this man for quite a while. So he lies down on the floor of the train car. And all of a sudden, all this machine gun fire is right over top of them. And Sherlock Holmes is like, He's like so chill. <laughs> and he's like doing his next thing and getting the next little thing together. And Dr. Watson's like. <laughs> and, and Sherlock Holmes is like really calm, setting up the next thing because he knows what's going to happen and he's not worried. Nothing in your life is a surprise to God. Nothing in your life is a surprise to God. Nothing happens to you, either good or ill, that God goes, I did not see that coming. Because God has planned out our days, we can have that kind of peace. We can have that kind of comfort that even in the midst of the storm, even in the midst of the roar of thunder, we can find our rest in Christ alone because we really do believe that God's got it. We really do believe that he has woven our lives in with the community of faith in such a way that we can trust him in a few weeks, we'll be looking at what happens when bad things happen to good people and why is that and how do we deal with suffering. So hold that right now. But we need to know that God has it all planned out. And everybody from Paul to Augustine to John Calvin to us in this space, their first emotional response to that truth was relief. It was peace. Calvin uses the word balm. He says this is a teaching that gives us balm. That we were chosen before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. And that he, as we talked about last week, is a lover pursuing the beloved no matter the cost. No matter the cost. So we gather at the table today and we gather as brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ who bear witness 
to God's ongoing activity in our lives. A few weeks ago, you may remember, we had uh, the special chapel in the Fine Arts Center, and I can't pronounce the name of the group. With the, they start with the Aradni? Aradna. Okay, they were on the mattresses, and they were like, right? You know what I'm talking about? And after that chapel, I went down to talk to Paul, and he said, hey, this ID was found. And you know how some of you have your ID on a lanyard with a room key? And he said, hey, would, would you be sure that this gets to the right place? I said, sure. So I took it back with me to my office, and I said to Janet, my assistant, I said, hey, would you contact the student? I'm sure she's going to need this very soon. And I kind of forgot about it. And then about 10 days ago, I was sitting in the commons dining hall by myself at a table. By the way, if you ever see me there, would you, you can come sit with me. And, and this student walked up and she plops down across from me and she says, hey, thanks for finding my ID. I said, oh, that was you. And she said, yeah. So she introduced herself and we started having this conversation. And the conversation became very substantial very quickly. And we started to talk about her family and her faith and Calvin College and her future. And she was able to ask me some questions that had been weighing on her, and I was able to give some counsel back. And none of that would have happened, except that she dropped her ID in the Fine Arts Center. Don't you want a God who's that involved in your life? Don't you want a God who's that involved in your life? I do. And so often these are the things we find out in retrospect. We look at hindsight. Some of you are here at Calvin because of stories like that. Your mom was late picking you up from youth group. It meant you and the youth leader had this long talk and started talking about college and he started talking about Christian college. He started talking about Calvin college. And long story short, you're here because your mom was late picking you up from youth group. Don't you want a God who's that involved in your life? Jesus Christ took on flesh. He knows what it's like to sit in a group of people. He knows what it's like to go on a silent retreat. He knows what it's like to laugh over really funny, stupid things that no one else would get. Don't you want a God who's that involved in your life? Jesus Christ knew the sin that you're going to commit tomorrow. And he knows the ones that you committed in high school and the ones that you'll commit when you're 42. Took all of that. Took it all. To the cross. All of it. Don't you want a God who's that involved in your life? I do. On the night before he was betrayed, he took bread. He was at an old, old feast that had been celebrated again and again and again, in which a lamb was slain, and people remembered the salvation of God. Again and again and again, this picture had been, had been demonstrated to the people of Israel. Again and again and again, the lamb of God is shed to forgive sins. Again and again and again, the picture and he says, this bread is my body. 
do this. To remember me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup. And he said, this cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it to remember me. So as often as we eat this bread and drink this cup, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Will you pray with me? We lift up our hearts to you, Father, Son, and Spirit. We praise you that you chose us in Christ before the foundations of the world to be holy and blameless. And that you, through the power of the Holy Spirit, continue to form us and shape us, regenerate us, sanctify us, so that we can choose you back, meekly, weakly, and only through your grace. We thank you, Father, that you did create us, that you knit us together in our mother's womb, that none of the, the days ordained for us were unknown by you, but instead, as the psalmist writes, were written in your book before one of them came to be. Thank you, Creator. We thank you, Jesus, Redeemer, that you came and took on flesh, that you did not stay distant, but you entered into suffering so that when we suffer loss, when we suffer heartache, when we are confused, you understand, you know, you are there. And we thank you, Holy Spirit, that you indeed never give up on us, that you are persistent in sanctification, that you're persistent in inviting us to make better choices, to make godly choices, to live out our choosing in what we choose. We thank you, Father, Son, and Spirit. And we pray in one voice the words that you, Jesus, taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. We'll come forward down these rows. You will have a few different stations that you can get the elements from. Rip a loaf from the bread and dip it in the cup. If you need gluten-free elements, please come and see me and ask for them. Everyone who is a communicant member in their home church is invited to participate in the feast. If you are not a communicant member or choose not to participate, you're still invited to come forward to receive a blessing. To signal that, simply cross your arms over your chest and the server will bless you in the name of Jesus. Jesus says, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke from me and learn from me, and I am gentle and weary in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. These are the gifts of God for the people of God. <laughs>